This is Black and Gold Rush, the podcast where we talk about all angles of New Orleans Saints football. I'm your host, Rachel Jones, and I've been a Saints fan all my life, so I know just how much this team means to our city, both as a former reporter and from my season ticket in Section 257. Whether it's breaking down game tape or telling an inspiring off-the-field story, I'm here for it because the Saints bring us together. Let's get going. Welcome back to Black and Gold Rush. I can't believe it's already February. Anybody else feel like 2021 is off to a flying start? Well, if you look at the calendar, you'll see that Sunday's date is February 7th, the 11th anniversary of the Saints' victory over the Colts in Super Bowl 44. Ah, let's take a second and think about Tracy Porter's pick six and all the memories from that amazing day in Miami, shall we? It never gets old. So we're going to drop a Super Bowl anniversary episode on Sunday with Jeff Duncan, columnist for The Athletic, talking all about this iconic moment in Saints history and much more. So make sure and subscribe to Black and Gold Rush so you don't miss out. Today, meanwhile, I'm taking you behind the scenes of the Saints broadcasting life with a great woman, Caroline Gonzalez. Caroline is host of the Saints pre- and post-game show on NewOrleansSaints.com and the New Orleans Saints podcast as the team's broadcasting coordinator. She also is the radio sideline reporter for the New Orleans Pelicans, helping with digital content production and hosting sponsorship events for both teams. With the Pelicans, she's able to go back to her basketball roots as she starred on the Loyola women's basketball team for four years and served as president of the Student Athlete Advisory Council. As you can see, Caroline does it all including a new part-time gig at WDSU Sports in New Orleans. I can't wait to hear what it's been like to report with our Saints during an extremely unconventional season. So let's dive in with the incredibly wise and talented Caroline Gonzalez. Well, Caroline, I'm so excited to have you with me today. Welcome. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me, Rachel. I'm excited to be on. So your journey in sports journalism started at Loyola, which I know you're very proud of. So tell us how it all began. Yeah, absolutely. So um, interesting. I had never been to New Orleans or Louisiana um, really before I started playing AAU basketball. And even um, when I played AAU, I visited here, but didn't really get to see the town. I was more focused on, you know, the weekend basketball tournament, all that stuff. And so, um, while I was here, I actually got recruited from Loyola University, New Orleans, and didn't really know what that meant. Like it was kind of my first, um, offer and proposal and things like that from a university. And it was my junior year, um, or it might've been sophomore going into junior year of high school. And so, Um, I was excited and I thought there was just a lot more out there. And so as, you know, I started getting more offers and more interest coming in, um, Loyola, New Orleans was clearly the front runner. Um, It was a place where I knew that I could get playing time and play basketball as opposed to sitting on the bench for three years and then playing your senior year. Uh, It was a smaller school. They had a great communications program. And so 
uh, when I came to New Orleans, my dad actually kind of had to remind me, like, you've been here before, you just played basketball, and you weren't really aware of your surroundings, because we traveled so much playing basketball, uh, that I what we had been to so many places, I kind of forgot. Um, but when I came to New Orleans, and I accepted their offer, uh, I kind of just saw so many signs that this was where I was supposed to be. Uh, it's kind of minuscule, but Lebanon Cafe right uh, uptown in New Orleans. Uh, I'm Lebanese. And so my mom saw that and she was like, it's a sign you're supposed to be here. And I was like laughing at her, like, calm down. Okay. Like there's one Lebanese restaurant here. Like you're going <laughs> to overreact here. Like everyone just simmer down. Um, but just like thing after thing. And, um, you know, realizing that Loyola was the place that I was meant to be. Um, I don't think I appreciated it um, at the time. Uh, when I was in school, I wanted to be at a bigger school. I had always gone to the Baylor camps and the Tennessee camps and the big basketball schools, and I wanted that big school spirit. And that just wasn't the case at Loyola, plain and simple. Um, it was much smaller scale. It was smaller campus, smaller class size, which was all of the things that attracted to me to Loyola, but, uh, you know, school spirit and things like that, um, just were lacking more than I was used to because I went to a big high school. And so in retrospect, Loyola, like I've said many times was just the place that I was meant to be because, um, you know, there were those small classes, class sizes. I was able to have coffee with my professors. I was able to go sit in their office hours every day before class and just, uh, New Orleans saying, chop it up a little bit, you know, like just hang out and talk with them, um, as opposed to being one of many faces in a class. And so, uh, like I said, when I was at Loyola, I don't think I appreciated it, it at enough while I was there, but in retrospect, it was the place where I was supposed to be. Um, and I'm very, very happy that, uh, I decided to go there. Wow, man, you see a sign, you sometimes <laughs> just have to run with it. Right. I mean, what an awesome story, Caroline, getting to play basketball, get your foot in the door at the Maroon School Paper. Yep. Uh, your your story really shines a positive light on these smaller college experiences. I mean, your, your experience clearly laid a foundation for you. And I had similar experiences. I mean, I, I went to LSU, but the student media experience mm. clearly was so valuable. Yeah. And I would encourage, I mean, I always tell aspiring, um, you know, really anyone, you know, get your foot in the door with student media because it is just so, so impactful. Yeah. So talk about that, your experience with the Maroon. Yeah, absolutely. So um, the Maroon was uh, more so just the newspaper when I was there. And, and obviously it still is, but now they've really expanded their, uh, like you said, student media and broadcasting. Mm -hmm. um, I believe it, maybe it was my sophomore year and I'm already losing my memory. Um, I believe it was my sophomore year. There was someone who was doing the play-by-play -play and color. You know, it's a small school, so you typically have one mm -hmm. person doing it all. Um, and it was just kind of a random and I had never met them. And I was like, well, I'm on the women's basketball team. Like, how have I never met you? Like, what are you even reporting on? And essentially they were just basically talking about the game at hand. And I realized like, this is something that I feel like I could do pretty well. I have a pretty good, you know, heartbeat on the men's team, on our team. Like I I'd like to do it. And so um, I got a little involved in the maroon as far as like writing and things like that. And I wasn't really sure what exactly I wanted to do, but I knew that I was good at talking. And I, like I said, knew that I was good at, um, 
you know, I had a kind of a pulse of the both teams. And so I was like, let's give it a shot. And so I actually ended up doing play by play and color commentary for the men's basketball games and the volleyball games. And it was awesome because, you know, probably no one was listening other than like Sally's mom who lives in Arkansas, who like barely (laughs) has connection to the stream. Um, But it gave me an opportunity to kind of be free and mess up and not have, you know, fans coming at, you know, my neck for messing up their son's or daughter's name or whatever. Not that I would have because I knew all of the athletes, Um, but it just, provided that opportunity and that freedom to kind of get my foot in the, uh, put my foot in the water or foot in the door. Um, and so that was really fun for me. And I realized that I really enjoyed it and it was fun because sometimes I would just get done playing a game and then I would run upstairs and do the men's game because the men played right after us. And so Mm -hmm. I was sweaty and I was still dripping sweat. And then I would just call the game and, uh, you know, it was fun. And I have a huge smile on my face right now, just thinking about that and thinking like, that it got me here and just like trying new things and those experiences. And so, um, you know, obviously the, the faculty at Loyola has done a fantastic job with the maroon, with their development of the sports media, their communication, they stream their games now, which, um, in a much more high production way than we were doing. Um, and so I'm just really proud of the development that Loyola has had, um, and kind of all the eyeballs that are now able to see Loyola sporting events. Um, but just the faculty, the Lisa Collins, Laura Jane, um, you know, all of the people that are so heavily involved in the Maroon and everything that goes into the Loyola communications program, they genuinely wanted to see me succeed. And it's hard enough being a student athlete trying to manage you know, going to class and wanting to do well, but also handling basketball and all these other things and internships and professors there genuinely wanted to see me succeed and they were doing whatever they could uh, to get me there. And it wasn't just me, obviously, it was anyone who put the effort in, uh, they wanted to see succeed. And and that was fun. And like I said, in retrospect, just seeing everything that they did for me and for others, uh, I cannot be appreciative enough to uh, the Loyola faculty and staff. I love that. I love that. Really being able to thank your mentors. That's amazing. Yeah. Amazing. And that's uh so now of course you're you know working in your dream job. Yep. Uh so it's a good transition into the differences <laughs> in reporting um this year compared to years past. Mm-hmm. Uh COVID-19 has obviously changed so much in terms of how media simply uh conduct interviews. Yeah. Uh you know, y- you told me with your uh, newest job, you know, at Channel 6, you're, you know, working from home uh, for the most part. Uh, so how have y'all in the Saints and Pelicans uh, digital media and broadcasting staff really worked to adapt and adjust? Well, I can't lie, Rachel, it's been hard because, and it's not just been hard on us. I think it's been hard on the athletes. And, you know, they, of course, just kind of sit in front of a Zoom screen and talk to us. But um, you don't get to develop those relationships. And as much as we probably always joke about the relationship between athletes and media, like, oh, I'm sure they're not bothered by us no longer being in the locker room and waiting for them to change so that we can get an interview. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, those those side conversations with guys like Cam Jordan or, you know, Marshawn Lattimore or just, you know, Jared Cook, like those side conversations that you have away from you know, the big hub that's around Drew Brees or around Taysom Hill, just like, Hey man, how you doing? How are your, how's your family? Things like that. Just those relationships are, 
they, they don't exist anymore because we're all sitting behind our commu- computer screens and, you know, I'm on gallery mode seeing everyone's house and ju- judging everyone's internal furniture and things like that. <laughs> um, and so uh, it's definitely different. Uh, I think, you know, the stories are a little bit harder to come by uh, just because, like I said, you don't have those side conversations that you can talk about that, you know, wonderful reporters have had for so long. I mean, Amy Just, Luke Johnson, like they do fantastic articles a lot of the times on things that are going on outside of football. And that just has been a lot harder to come by um, this year. And, and that's on the Saints and Pelicans side. And then for WDSU, um, kind of the same thing. I mean, I'm, I'm watching the same interviews that they're watching because, you know, they're covering the same teams and sporting events and things like that. Um, for me on the WDSU side, uh, working from home uh, personally has been easier for me, I think, because I am not uh, – I had never worked really in a studio before. So I think I could have very quickly been overwhelmed, uh, especially taking this on part-time with my other job. Um, But the benefit of working from home is I'm in the comfort of my own home. So I can mess up. I can, you know, do all of the things that I wouldn't be able to do in a studio. And I don't have these bright lights on me and everyone looking at me. I'm just able to do it and figure it out on my own. So um, at least on the WDSU side and having guys like Fletcher and Sharif and all of our fantastic producers support me has been great, but at least on the WDSU side from a a personal experience, I feel like uh, I have been appreciative of the work from home environment, um, but definitely ready to get back to normal here soon. (laughs) Amen. Amen to that. So, right. This business is built on relationships in so many ways and, and you touched on right between the, the media and players and of course, from reporter to reporter that, that is being tested right now. And so in your role as host of the Saints pregame and postgame shows, with fan attendance obviously limited this season in the Superdome, how did that change your strategy and preparation, knowing that for many people, you were literally their window behind the scenes to game day on NewOrleansSaints.com? Yeah, um, that is something that our production team in my um from my vantage point, did a fantastic job with. Um, And it's something that they knew that they were going to have to tackle early on because it was pretty clear that we weren't going to be able to have as many fans as as we wanted inside the Mercedes-Benz Superdome. And let me just say first, that first game that there were zero fans, it was miserable. And I don't like, I miss those fans so much. And that just continued throughout um, every game of the season, obviously numbers went up and then they went back down and all this stuff. And um, we were appreciative to have the amount of fans that we were inside the Mercedes Benz Superdome, but it didn't even compare to the 73,000 that we're used to having. And man, I just, I, I tweeted it a bunch because it was so true. I miss having the roar of the fans inside the Mercedes-Benz Superdome. Like there was nothing better than that. You got chills and, you know, during games you would see an exciting play happen and you wouldn't even know to look up from your computer screen because there was just no roar of the crowd, at least at first. And so um, definitely miss having those Saints fans inside the Mercedes-Benz Superdome. But um, as far as the pregame and postgame show, like I said, our production team did a fantastic job um, providing inside access on the field throughout the entire show. We were, uh, showing the player warmups, um, 
on the field. So you got basically an inside access, seeing everything that was going on on the field throughout the entire show. Uh, we also, our production team came up with a way to get fans involved with our black and gold roll call. So fans were checking in from all over. And it was crazy, Rachel, because at the beginning you would see fans from like just Louisiana checking in. And then it was, you know, the Southern States. And then it was like national. At, at one point we had fans checking in worldwide, like people from Wales, people from Ireland, like my jaw would drop just seeing Saints fans checking in from all over. And it was just, it was pure and it was adorable. And I loved every second of it. And um, throughout the pregame show, it was just, it was fun to see that many fans, you know, engaged and checking in and, and caring so much about the black and gold, which obviously we know they do. Um, but I, I feel like the pregame show was a time for us all to come together um, and say like, Hey, you know, we're all sitting at home. You know, I'm not, JD and I are on inside the Mercedes-Benz Superdome as we usually are on the field, uh, but we're mm -hmm. all in this together and we are going to try to make this experience as fun as possible for you. Um, and like I said, I think our production team did a fantastic job of doing that by literally having a live stream of the field, basically the entire game and, and being able to, to create that kind of sense of togetherness. I love that. Yeah, y'all did a great job. The Houdat Nation of capturing how the Houdat Nation is truly global. I mean, yeah. when you had the arrows going from, you know, literally the United States, you know, yeah. to like you said, to Wales, you know, and then, you know, to I, from, one from one coast to the other, yes. you know, it was, it was awesome, you know, to capture that, that global nature of the Houdat Nation. So being from Dallas, I mean, <laughs> how did, I, I mean, did you grow up a Cowboys fan or did you have to convert to being a Saints fan or what? It's funny because that is like the number one question I get when I tell people I'm from Dallas and, um, you know, I wouldn't say that I wasn't a Cowboys fan, but I also wouldn't say that I was like, I went to a few Cowboys games when I was growing up. It was just kind of like, you know, another sporting event. My dad was fantastic at taking us to sporting events. And I have two older brothers who played um, high school and college basketball. And so we were always going to their games and things like that. And honestly, Rachel, I, I don't think I was a fan of any team until I got to the New Orleans Saints, because like I said, I had two older brothers. I was playing basketball. Like we were always just running around and doing a million different things. And so focused on our basketball and getting a scholarship and my brother and, you know, his career and things like that. And he's 10 years older than me. So I was okay. eight years old attending his games at Carnegie Mellon um, okay. and just like cheering my heart out. So we were so worried with other things going on that professional sports, you know, we watch them every once in a while, but it wasn't necessarily the thing to do. So when I came to New Orleans and saw just like, the fandom around the New Orleans Saints, what the Flair de Lee meant to this city. Um, you know, you couldn't go into a dorm room in New Orleans on a Sunday without seeing the Saints game on. Like it was impossible. And so whether it was going to my teammates' room or just being in a room by myself or going to the grocery store and seeing a million Saints jerseys, like that Saints fandom, like just caught me and it's something that I didn't see as much in Dallas. And, um, you know, I was like, I want to be a part of that. Um, and I'm so happy, so, so happy that I was able to. 
Well, we are so happy to have you here in the Houdat Nation, Caroline. <laughs> and you mentioned your your older brother uh, playing playing basketball. So I, I see that basketball was in your blood, you know, yes. from when you were, a, you know, just a, at a young age. I mean, so getting to work for both the Saints and the Pelicans, yes. um, you know, that that's got to be really awesome for you, huh? It's so fun. And, you know, I talk about the love for the Saints. I mean, that love for the Pelicans is there, too. I mean, you can look on Twitter and see how fired up fans get. And uh, being able to talk about basketball, something that I know, something that, like you said, has been in my blood for so long. I mean, let me just say my my two older brothers, Greg and Michael, uh, have been my superheroes, like plain and simple. Like I, I, I look up to them more than anything. I seek their approval more than anything. Uh, not that I need to, I mean, I, I think I've, I've done pretty well (laughs) and they they love me one way or another, but no, um, but family is there for love. Yes. Yes. And so they have been my superhero seeing my brother go, go to college and play basketball. Like I wanted to follow in his footsteps because he did that. And I saw his experiences and things like that. Um, and so being able to talk about basketball, being able to still be connected to the game. Um, when I played at Loyola, I wasn't able to play my senior year because I suffered a back injury and, um, I didn't know that, you know, the game the year prior was my last basketball game. And so, um, walking away from the game, I wanted to play overseas. I wanted to do the whole thing, um, see the world, all of that stuff. And, uh, kind of having sh- basketball stripped away from me sooner than I was ready. I mean, you're never really ready, but sooner than I expected. Um, and then being able to come to the Saints and Pelicans and see and still be connected to the game and still be able to talk about it and still kind of get a pulse of the team and the league and things like that, like nothing has been better than being able to do that. Wow, I love that. And so kind of piggybacking off of the impact that your that your brothers and and your you mentioned your professors have had on you. Yeah. You, you you mentioned to me that you also enjoy mentoring and I think that's such a wonderful thing. So, I'd like to know what advice you have for others looking to achieve their dreams, whatever they might be, but especially if they happen to be interested in sports broadcasting. Ooh, uh, well, I'm going to be speaking to myself when I say this too. Um, keep going. Uh, the journey does not stop. Right. And, um, you're, yeah, you're, you're doing okay. I think I wish someone even now, uh, would tell me, and I don't need someone to tell me that right now, but, uh, I wish someone had told me like, Hey, you're doing okay. Um, because I don't think we tell ourselves or we have people tell us that enough because of this social media world that we're in where we are constantly seeing others success. So even for myself, and I'm on a social media hiatus right now, because I'm constantly looking at others and comparing and seeing their success, because that's all we post on social media. Like we don't post those pictures or those moments where we feel our worst, where we're crying in our bathroom. I mean, if someone did post that, I would absolutely roast them and make fun of them. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> if someone posted that, uh, we would see it as kind of bizarre, right? So we only post our Atypical, high points. Yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah, we yeah. only post our high points on social media. Um, and you know, if you were to look at my social media right now, you'd be like, oh man, she lives this great life. She's the the team reporter for these two professional teams. And while that also is true, I also have my own things that I struggle with. So I think um, the most important thing for young people to understand is that as long as you are doing something to progress, 
you are doing enough. And especially in a pandemic, as long as you are taking care of yourself, you are doing enough. And and by taking care of yourself, hopefully also taking care of others and wearing masks and doing all of the things that are necessary. Um, but I think, my, yeah, I think my biggest piece of advice um, to younger people would just be to keep going, take care of yourself um, and don't feel like you're not doing enough. As long as you are doing something um, to benefit yourself later on, whether that's internships or networking or things like that, like just keep doing those, those things and treat everyone as if they are your future boss. Like I can't tell you how many times I've run into someone and then I meet them several months later in a corporate setting. And I'm like, Oh, I had no idea that you were, you know, the CEO of this company. Imagine if I, if I would have, you know, acted rudely to this person, um, I wouldn't have had this opportunity. So, uh, I I know I'm going all over the place and there's a million things that I want to say to the young people, but, um, I would (laughs) just say, uh, keep going and, uh, you know, keep your foot on that gas pedal, do the internships, do things that are going to help you later on. Don't think that, you know, those problems or those things are going to solve themselves later. Like try to do them now as best you can. Oh man. I, incredible pieces of advice. I just love every bit of it. If yeah, I could I just, say one more thing, Rachel, sorry absolutely. to cut you no, I just no. thought of this because, um, you know, when I was on a team, I was seeing so many people who were basically just saying like, oh, as soon as I get a degree, like it'll be good and it'll solve itself from there. And it's kind of like, wait, no, that's not how it works. Like everyone else is getting that same piece of paper that you're getting at graduation. It's kind of about the things that you do. And I'm speaking mostly to college students in this, like it's mostly about what you do during your time in college to make an impact after you're done with college. Like everyone, like I said, is getting that same piece of paper just because you have a degree it sets you apart from some people, but it doesn't set you apart from everyone else who is graduating with you on graduation day. So um, like I said, internships, I did an internship every year that I was at college and was it always fun? No, absolutely not. Trying to get 20 hours in at WDSU when I was also a full-time student athlete was not fun. Fletcher jokes with me all the time because I was there at five o'clock in the morning up until I had practice because that's simply what I had to do in order to make the internship requirement. Um, And so, you know, internships, networking, uh, making yourself available and putting on your best face. And that doesn't mean like you have to be on all of the time, but like I said, treating people with respect um, and treating others as you would want to be treated is so, so, so important. Not just, uh, you know, to the person who you know is a CEO, but maybe to the person who you don't know is a CEO who later on can maybe help you down the line. Perfect. Well, yeah, I just told someone the other day, actually, you know, Go for the jobs that you might not necessarily be as confident in, you know, apply anyway, you know, your passion, your hard work and your willingness to learn is what can set you apart. So, right. It's important to never give up. So you just gave amazing advice, Caroline, that we we can all learn from. So now uh, shifting back to Saints football, as we uh, close out, uh, fans are really on edge this off season (laughs) because, you know, we are looking at some definite transitions Mm -hmm. with the assistant coach and staff departures that have happened already. Dan Campbell, Aaron Glenn, Joe Lombardi, Terry Fontenot, and there's uncertainty at quarterback and 
key defensive positions, most notably. As someone who's been around the Saints daily since 2017, what would be your message to the fan base about remaining calm? Because let's face it, the Saints have done a lot of winning, especially, you know, four straight division titles. Maybe fans are a little spoiled right now, and we all just need to take one collective breath. Yeah. Spoiled children, I tell you. No, I would just say, say, you know, have that faith, you know, like look at how much the Saints have won over the last four seasons. That is not easy to do. I mean, the Chiefs are a product of their own and they have an exceptional quarterback, all of those things. But look at how much success, sustained success the Saints have had over the last four years. Look at who's in charge. Mickey Loomis is still in charge. Sean Payton is still in charge. You have Kai Harley. You have so many pieces of the puzzle that are still vital and still um, can make it happen going forward. And Mickey Loomis spoke earlier on Wednesday uh, about, you know, still being in a situation to win now. And I think everyone in the building believes that. Um, And it's only going uh, to continue. Sorry, I, I had a phone call going on. So that I mean, a phone call coming through. So that kind of distracted me for a second. Um, But, but, uh, you know, those people are still in charge. And I I think you have to have faith in them because they've done nothing to prove otherwise. And, you know, I'm sure some fans are going to be like, well, we've lost the last four seasons and playoffs. Are you not excited for the future? I mean, are you not excited? I would be. I am. Are you not so excited? I mean, you still have the key pieces. I, I think this, this, possibility of newness is exciting. And even if it's not like everything that the saints have been building for, for the last four years, like it it can only improve. So, um, ye of little faith, come on, Mickey Loomis, look him in his eye. He's excited. He's going to get us together. That would be my piece of advice. (laughs) I could just see you, you know, putting on some pads and rallying, you know, the naysayers and getting them ready. You know, if we're lucky enough, you know, knock on wood, I'm knocking on wood, you know, <laughs> to be in the Superdome next season, you know, my my dad and I are season ticket holders. Oh, you know, cool. hopefully, hopefully we'll be in our in our seats. You know, we're gonna be cheering on this team. You know, through thick and thin. You know, yeah. so finally, Caroline, I, I'm curious, who's been your favorite interview in your Saints broadcasting career? Ooh, um, that is a good one. Um, Cam Jordan is always a treat. Uh, Latavius Murray has always been wonderful, but I honestly think my favorite interviews have come um, not completely outside of basketball. uh, I mean, football or basketball. um, But I think my favorite interviews, I'm going to say interviews, Tony Dungy first. um, He wrote a, uh, a devotional, um, Mm -hmm. an uncommon life several years ago. And when I was going through the worst of it when I was in college with my back injury. I wasn't sure, um, you know, what the future held. I wasn't sure what my life was going to be, you know, kind of that like college sorrows of like, who am I going to be? What am I going to do? Um, and so many other outside factors. I was just really down in life and his devotional Mm -hmm. saved my life, uh, quite Mm -hmm. literally. And so when I was able to interview him, you know, national guests and things like that, you don't want to take up too much of their time. But I told him that 
Um, and it was just so fun to see his face and his reaction because he genuinely did save my life. Um, and so that interview with Tony Dungy was fun. And then Terrence Blanchard, um, who is a musician, a local musician, uh, my mm -hmm. interview with him w was really fun. And I got to know a lot more about him and the wonderful music that comes out of New Orleans. And so uh, that those two will probably be my favorite. Wow, Tony yeah, Tony Dungy. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Tony Dungy and Terrence Blanchard. Well, yeah. we will certainly look to see more from you, Caroline, uh, as the offseason unfolds. And where can our listeners connect more with you? Yeah, absolutely. So they can follow me. Like I said, I'm doing a social media hiatus. So if I don't follow you back, I'm apolo I apologize. But um, on social media, I'm at Caroline, C-A-R-O-L-I-N-E, Gonzo, G-O-N-Z-O, and then the number three, four, which is my basketball number. So um, I'd say that's awesome. where they can follow me. Awesome. Well, it has been such a pleasure to talk with you. I've admired your work with the Saints and Pelicans for a long time. So it's been great to connect with you. We so appreciate your time. Thanks, Rachel. Sorry for rambling a little bit, but I appreciate you having me on. No, no, that's what we want to do on, the, <laughs> on, this, on this podcast. We want to tell great stories around around the Saints and really get to know our guests. So we appreciate you being so open and so honest and just really telling your story from the heart. So Caroline, thanks again. Enjoy your social media hiatus. And, <laughs> you know, again, just keep up the great work and we hope you'll come back. Thanks so much, Rachel. Thank you so much for listening to Black and Gold Rush. Make sure to subscribe on the podcast app of your choice and leave a rating and review. Also, I'd love to connect more. Come say hey on Twitter or Instagram at RachelW504 and let me know what you thought of this episode. For show notes and more, head over to my website at rachelwjones.me. Until next time, oodah!